Good morning. The title of this message is Tonto, and the subtitle is Service. And not just service, it's great service in that supportive, sidekick, come-alongside way. So as I look at you this morning, I know that there are two kinds of people in this room. There's those who are coming here and listening to this tape because you want to be a support. You want to stand alongside. You want to encourage them and lift up their hands. And the other part of you, maybe maybe you know you don't want to quite yet, but you want to want to. And so blessings to you. God bless you. God bless you for that desire. And as we look at this topic this morning, standing in support, can you picture it? Can you? Can you actually think of examples of great teams? Can you think of great leaders who had someone who was called to serve alongside? Biblical examples of this are Moses and Aaron, Moses and Joshua, Joshua and Caleb, Elijah and Elisha. Then there was Jonathan and his armor bearer, David and Jonathan. And of course, we know that Jesus had his disciples. He handpicked them. He stayed up all night and prayed that the Lord would direct him, give him wisdom, and choose the disciples. And if we look at them, they were kind of a motley crew. And, and sometimes we wondered who would choose them. But Jesus said to all of us, All of us who are listening, I hope it's true. He said, you did not choose me. I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. And then there was among those 12, there was his inner circle. There were those who always wanted to be closest. They wanted to to be in that close circle. And when Jesus went somewhere, when he went up to the mountain, They wanted to go. They wanted to watch. They wanted to be partakers of those deeper moments. And some of you are that. And and I believe that the reason that they were chosen wasn't that they were the most gifted and skilled. I, I believe that, as is true and often true in the Christian life, it's that desire that we get to go because we want to go. Lord, pick me. Choose me. Let me go with you. And so they did. And then in Luke 8, we're told about the women, Mary Magdalene, out of whom seven demons had been cast. She traveled with others alongside Jesus and cared for their needs. And then when we think of Barnabas, we think of Paul. And in Acts, that's how the team was introduced. First of all, Barnabas was involved in this great revival. And he went and got Paul and said, come on, let's get involved in this. Come and help with this. But then later, as we read Acts, we see there was a shift, an unusual shift, that instead of it being titled Barnabas and Paul, it was later called Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas became the helper. And then there was Paul and Timothy. And even through history, Christian history, there are leaders who had helpers. There's D.L. Moody, who had Ira Sankey, his worship, his faithful worship leader, who traveled with him all over. Billy Graham had George Beverly Shea. And even in the world, we see this. There was the Lone Ranger. And who did he have? Tonto. Tonto was his helper. And what did Tonto call the Lone Ranger? Kimasabi. I always, even as a kid, when I heard that Kimasabi, I always thought it meant like boss. Yes, boss. Yes, great leader. 
just last week I found out the true meaning of that. Kemosabe means friend. How sweet that is. He called him friend. And then there's Batman and Robin. Even in the Academy Awards, not only do you see lead actors get awards, but there is an Oscar for the Best Supporting Actor and Actresses. And so you would not be here today if you were not in that distinct position of serving and support, coming alongside in the second, third, or even 15th position in that role. And so as from the hand of God himself, may we, when we're in that role, serve with joy. May we serve with honor and may we serve with diligence. And may we apply God's good word with all of our hearts when he tells us, whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. And this message this morning is not only dedicated to you, but it's dedicated to my armor bearers, to my Jonathans, to my Elishas when I'm in that role, to my Joshua's. And I'll tell you the truth, I'd rather, I'd rather cut off my right hand than give them up. When I'm weak, they come alongside and they pray for me. They support me. They encourage me in ways I can't even explain. And I want to say, God bless you and God bless them. And then in my life, sometimes I switch hats. I'm not the Moses. I'm the Joshua. I'm the her. I'm the Aaron. I'm I'm called to, to lift up somebody else's hands. And I want to say to my Moseses, to my Elijah's, to my David's, God bless them. And may God fill all of us with joy. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would put your good hand upon us and we would feel stirred. We would feel excited. We would see this is an opportunity. This isn't just a have to. This is a get to. And we want to thank you, Lord. Use us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. And so this morning, I want to start out with with a good word from a wonderful book. And I'll recommend this book to you as a mainstay. And it's called Spiritual Leadership by J. Oswald Sanders. And it's a tremendous book. And the first, first chapter talks about the honorable ambition. You might be thinking, that's an oxymoron. How could that be true? Well, he lists two scriptures that are, are held in tension. One from 1 Timothy 3.1 that says, To aspire to leadership is an honorable ambition. An honorable ambition. On the other hand, he quotes Jeremiah 45.5. Should you then seek great things for yourself? Seek them not. And so in this tension, he holds these things as true. An honorable ambition, it's a, it's a good thing to want to lead others, to know where to go. And, and it's said about a leader is that they know where they're going and they know the way, they go the way, and they show the way. And you may not feel like you're, you're the leader, but all of us are leading someone, if it's even just one person. If you're called to support if you call to be that encouragement, be aware that there's others. 
that feel stirred in that way too. And they, they want to know how. And, and so maybe they're watching you in those moments. Are you faithful in your calling? And will you mentor them even from afar in that role? And then Jesus, Jesus made it very clear of how we are to serve in that role. And J. Oswald Sanders talks about that word ambition. It comes from the Latin word meaning campaigning for promotion. And the phrase suggests certain elements, social visibility, approval, popularity, peer recognition, the exercise of authority over others. Is this the kind of ambition that's true for us? Well, Jesus put it in the right place. To his ambitious disciples, Jesus announced a new standard of greatness. He said in Mark 10, 42, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. And then he said, Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be the first must be the slave of all. Through the years, whenever I've led teams and I've gone to somebody and asked them to to serve in a role, I've often said the phrase, I am now just offering to demote you. Whereas before, you were in the position where maybe you were, were being served. But now in this role, I'm demoting you to servant of all. How exciting is that? Well, Jesus led the way. He blazed the way to that. And so today, as we look at this topic, we will examine what is it that we are called to do? Sometimes we feel that we are adrift. What is our role? What is our title? What is our niche? And the problem that we sometimes feel is that we have not been given a definitive job description. Well, be aware if you're serving along your pastor's wife, she's still waiting for hers. She's still waiting for her memo, her email that that lays it all out, her her manual, how to be a pastor's wife. Sometimes it's just not that clear. It's played out day by day in the present, stepping out, trusting. And so in this message, we're going to look at the why, why we are needed. And we are going to look at the how and the what. How do we serve in all those fluctuating moments and seasons of ministry. And hopefully you will rejoice when you see the blessed fruit. And there's great fruit. And yes, lest we leave out a very important area that needs to be addressed, we will honestly look at the pitfalls. We will look at some of the moments and issues that could and sadly do diffuse the blessed effect and fruitfulness of our ministry lives and even our personal joy, and peace. Let's look at this. What is the big picture? What is the, the object of ministry when we're serving with women and for women and with leaders? Well, well, as we look at the Old Testament, and we're going to take one snapshot from Numbers. In Numbers 11, we will see a situation where there was trouble in the camp. People are the great blessing of ministry because without them you have no ministry. But sometimes they struggle and then we struggle with their struggles. It it becomes overwhelming because it is overwhelming. Listen to, to one of those days for Moses. Numbers 11, verse 4. 
it says the rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, F only, we had meat to eat. We remember the fish that we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. And now we have lost our appetite because all we see is manna. We have to remember that they were never hungry a day in their life throughout the wilderness. But they still craved that which they didn't have. And this is human nature. And I love that it's played out so clearly in these accounts. And that's why we must be readers of the whole counsel of God. Sometimes we hit dilemmas and we think it's just our group of girls. Be aware. This was human nature. And human nature is that this rabble, whoever they are, whatever rabble means, it means trouble. And these people took their needs, not to God, but they took their desires and their wishes and their wants to people. This is, this is heartache. And, and pretty soon we'll read down in verse 10 that Moses, Moses heard the people of every family. It's now spread to every family. It started with a few. And because they voiced their concern with words, it just spread like ripples throughout the camp. And pretty soon they were wailing at the entrance to to their tent. And the Lord became exceedingly angry and Moses was troubled. Now let's look at this description of Moses. He was rattled as we become. And here he voices his concern. And I want you to note that instead of taking his concern to the people, he took it right to God. What a model that is. Verse 11, it says, He asked the Lord, Why, Lord, have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you have put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised an oath to their forefathers? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me. Give us meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you are going to treat me, put me to death right now. If I have found favor in your eyes and do not let me face my ruin. Oh my goodness. This is tragical. He has hit the wall with this. And he's just come to the end of his self. And you know what? That is sometimes the place that we all land. I have felt like this so many times. I have felt so defeated. I I look at the needs of the people and see that they're hungry for things I can't give them. It's just way over me. And I want you to know that this is the state that you, you sometimes don't see. This is the heart's cry that you don't see in, in the leader you serve under. And Sometimes you will see her come to church and she's distant. Maybe she's irritable. Maybe she she doesn't communicate well in, in moments. Sometimes she withdraws. Sometimes she sinks away. Sometimes she doesn't show up. And sometimes you think she's just a failure. She, she's just not coming to the plate. But be aware behind the scenes. Sometimes she's just in pain. She's overwhelmed. 
And that's when you need to stand alongside her most. That's when you need to pray for her most. In verse 16, we see that the Lord met Moses. He said, bring me 70 of Israel's leaders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting that they may stand there with you. I will come down and speak with you there and I will take up the spirit that is on you and put the spirit on them. And they, spirit-filled leaders, will help you carry the burden of the people so that you will not have to carry it alone. This was God's solution then, and this is God's solution today. This is what we need most, spirit-filled leaders. And what is the mission? To carry the burden of the people. When others come alongside to, to minister with me, I don't need them to carry my luggage. I need them to carry the luggage of the people, to come alongside of them. That blesses me so much. When I get an email where, where someone that's my helper is carrying the burden, they're, they're emailing back and forth with someone who's broken, who's, who's needy, taking them to the Word, taking them to the Lord. When I'm at a retreat or a conference and, and, and I look across the room and I see, see one of my dear gals and they're in a corner and, and there was someone who's crying their eyes out and they're taking them to prayer and they're giving them eye contact and they're loving them. That encourages my, my heart because I can't be there for all of those needs. And they're carrying the burden. We see that in, in the beginning of the church. In Acts 6, there came a need. People were needy. People are always needy. And just because it overwhelms us doesn't mean the answer is to neglect that need. We see that in the days of the disciples, the number of the disciples was multiplying. And when there's more people, there's more needs. And then there rose a complaint. There it is again. Because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the people together and they said, It's not desirable that we neglect the word. So therefore, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation. Listen to the qualifications. Men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The same pleased the multitude. And look who they chose. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and others like them. They laid their hands upon them and set them to this task. Again, the solution. The solution is spirit-filled servants. Those that are willing to take the lower seat, to do those physical tasks, not just to do the job, not to just pour the coffee and consider your, your job done. What it did was launch into this needy place, loving, caring, wise servants to minister, to minister to true needs. This is the picture that's always the answer. And so we know 
that as one of these leaders for Moses, there arose someone who was close, who came alongside really in a tanto position, and it was Joshua. Exodus tells us the first time that we see Joshua is in this moment when Moses commanded Joshua. Exodus 17, 9 and 10 says Moses commanded Joshua, interesting, didn't just request, but commanded him. He said, choose some men to go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. Tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill holding the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did. Wonderful, wonderful next sentence. So Joshua did what Moses had commanded and fought the army of Amalek. Meanwhile, Moses, Aaron, and Hur climbed to the top of a nearby hill. Great ministry teamwork here. First of all, we'll look at Joshua. Joshua, who was he? Joshua was just like all the others. He was an ex-slave born of ex-slaves. And here we see now they're fresh out of slavery, out of Egypt, in the wilderness, and the first real battle comes against them. And so Moses turns to this ex-slave and says, you fight them. You go to the front lines for us. And not just you, I want you to choose others. And I love this moment. I, I just think here he didn't have experience as a warrior. I'm sure he'd never even picked up a sword. He was used to laying bricks, not fighting Amalekites. And here he was given this trusted opportunity. And maybe that will be true with you. Maybe, maybe you, you're there to serve and one day your, your Moses turns to you and says, Sue, I'd really like you to lead that committee for the retreat. And you want to turn to her like maybe Joshua felt like turning to Moses. What? I don't know how to do that. But the key was that he was to choose others to fight with him. And Moses knew Joshua. He knew that he would say yes. He, he would be bold to step into it. And he would choose others that were like him. If you continue to read the story, and, and all of you have, of Joshua, later we see so many of his attributes come out. He was definitely a big godder. When he was sent in to spy out the land, he saw that there were giants in the land, but he wasn't the one that said, those giants, they see us as ants. No, no. He saw those giants as ants compared to his God who could give that victory. And that's the way he faced everything. We need to be big godders who see God as able and that in our weakness, His strength is perfected. And then we read that as a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek. And as we know, Moses was praying for them. And here we see another picture of two ministry leaders, Aaron and Hur. They were standing alongside, lifting up their arms, lifting up their arms with Moses and being in that prayer support. So here we see the definition and division of labor. We see some in the front lines, some coming alongside the Joshua's, and then we see some that are in the prayer room, on their knees. Lord, give them the victory. Break through the grip of Satan and the threat of Satan in this situation. 
other moments where we see Joshua alongside Moses is in Exodus 24:13, when Moses set out to go up to the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments. What do we see? Joshua went with him. He went with him up to that mountain, and oh, what a ministry moment that was on holy ground, seeing God speak. And again, why did Joshua get to go? Maybe just because he wanted to. He longed to go to the high places to hear God. But be aware there was a downside to that. They were up there for 40 days and ate nothing. And be aware in ministry, there's going to be moments when to really be there, you have to miss a meal. You have to miss some hours of sleep. Like Jill Briscoe says, I'd rather have sleep deprivation than God deprivation. And then we see in Exodus 33 that inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Afterward, Moses would return to the camp. But the young man who assisted him, Joshua, son of Nun, would remain behind in the tent of meeting. Now that's an important moment where we see that, yes, again, in the tent, he wanted to go. He wanted to go behind the veil. He wanted to see that face-to-face relationship. But even when Moses needed to move on, he lingered. I want to say, linger Linger in the holy place. Don't just go because someone else goes. You need to have your own holy place experience with God. That makes a servant, not just a servant of Moses, but a servant of God. And now to do the, the shift of missed moments. Joshua can sometimes miss the mark. We see that in Numbers eleven twenty eight actually 27 through 29. It says, A young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, son of of Nuns, who had been Moses' assistant since his youth, protested, Moses, my master, make them stop. Then Moses said, Are you zealous for my sake? Oh, that the Lord's people were prophets, all of them prophets, and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. Here we see that Joshua was zealous, or maybe it was jealous for Moses. And he wanted this little essence of us foreign, no more. This little, uh, we're the only ones that get to do this, right? Right? We're the echelon. We don't want others getting to do all this holy stuff. And may that not be with us. That didn't sit right with Moses. And it doesn't sit right with God. God has a big family. And there's a big work to be done. The harvest field is great. Oh, child of God. Don't be zealous or jealous for a tight Fisted ministry experience. Let God ripple his Holy Spirit and raise up youth to serve with fire. Raise up women who used to be broken to come onto the front lines. Let the ripple get big. Even in Jesus' disciples, there were missed moments when they didn't get it, when they wanted to, to make that circle be reeled in. Other moments, they wanted to send the woman, the Syrophoenician woman, away. Remember? She came and, 
And she was a train wreck. She was hysterical. She was crying. She was begging Jesus, help me, help me. My daughter is demon possessed. And their reaction was very, very human. They said, send her away. No, no, go away. And what was that all about? If you look at that and if you step in their shoes, I think all of us could know how that feels. They they looked at her and, and she wasn't their ministry. She was from another country. They were sent to the Jews. She doesn't belong. She's not one of us. Look, she looks so differently. And, and then she's hysterical. We can't deal with that. And then, you know, she may be dressed in a very worldly, ungodly manner where she'll never fit. She's not our kind. And then she had a need that was bigger than them. That's sometimes true, where we just see we are not prepared to tackle this. Demon possession is not our gig. But Jesus didn't send her away. Jesus didn't. And Jesus did deliver this daughter. And we have to be aware that he loves those that are in the grip of Satan. And we can't fix them. But he can. The disciples also sometimes wanted to send away the children. And that can be to us. We can say, we're, we're women's ministry. We don't want babies. We don't want children. We don't want to get involved in that. And we can kind of put our parameters and, and forget that our little girls in the body of Christ are our future women. And God loves them. And, and Jesus said, bring them to me. Also, there was that ministry missed moment when Jesus had been ministering to a multitude of people and they had been there a long time. At the end of the day, they were hungry. And and just humanly speaking, we know that the disciples were probably hungry and tired. And they went to Jesus and said, send the people home to get something to eat. But what did Jesus said? He said, you feed them. Now, I know how that feels. When my... um, grandchildren were young. My my grandson was kind of a wild little boy and he'd be rambunctious and jumping all around and get late at night. And my granddaughter, who's a couple years older than him, would come to me and say, Grandma, send the boy to bed. That was her solution. Just send the boy away. Honestly, sometimes we feel that way. And the Lord says, you feed them, not out of your resources, but out of mine. And then we know also there was James and John, who one time when Jesus was rejected, their solution to that was send down fire. They were the sons of thunder. And their reaction to a rejection was anger, retaliation. And may we not miss those moments and want to retaliate. You know, the the Lord says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Now, lest we leave this section, we must look at pitfalls. I want you to write that word and circle it. A pitfall. And the classic one is found in Numbers 12, 1. And if you are coming to this moment, I want to say to you, if it if stirs your heart, write this text down. Numbers 12, verses one through 15. And you might need to turn off the tape, go to the secret place, go to your knees, and let God himself search your heart. God himself convict your heart. God himself lead you to repentance. Allow the Lord to forgive 
and cleanse your heart. Let's first look at verses 1 through 3. Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife. For he had married a Cushite, an Ethiopian. And they said, Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked? Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. Big line in this story. And the Lord heard this. Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Now as we look at this story, we we look at this and we go, what, what are the dynamics here? We see that a Cushite was, was definitely not Jewish. She wasn't, she wasn't their people. She didn't fit. And they wanted, they wanted to object to this. They had a word of what he chose. And sometimes I've seen leaders do this. They, they, they have this, this concept of us three, let it be, or us four and, and no more. And, and, and they want to keep a, a tight grip on this, this relationship. Oh, she's not our kind of leader. Don't choose her. We, we kind of have this little routine, this way that we communicate. This, this you know, we get these cozy little tables at lunch and, 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 and we get to choose these little corners in these little prayer circles. And we don't want to make the circle bigger in this intimacy that we have with our leader. And it's not right. That's not right. And, and their choice was to speak against it, to make this, this wife feel rejected. And sometimes we can do that, make, make others feel like they could never be along with us in this opportunity. Don't do this. The Lord hears, even if it's just in our heart. And then we can play this out to criticism. Sometimes we can be criticizing of, of a leader's children. Look at those children. They're, they're a mess. They, they're not fitting into this, this church model of the, the perfect pastor's daughter. And we can be critical. Don't do that. Don't tear them down. They need to be loved. They need to be prayed for. Take your burdens to the Lord. Maybe your leader is making a personal choice about, about the car that they, they buy or, or where they live or, or just friendships. Don't be critical on the outside. Just pray. Just wait on the Lord. And then we see that we can learn so much from Moses' um, response to this. He was humble. But if we look at this, we see that, that the bottom line is really voiced in verse 2. And it really wasn't just uh, about the Cushite wife. We see that there was really a burr in their saddle. Bottom line here is that they were, they were thinking, well, is Moses the only one that God speaks to? No. And sometimes we, it can be with us. We, we can look at our leader and say, is she the only one that gets to pick the color of the ribbons on the program? Or she's the only one that gets to pick the, the retreat theme? How about us? i got a few ideas. I, I think she should turn to us. And, and um, the Lord wasn't pleased with that. You know, the course they were anointed to. But... The Lord wasn't pleased with this kind of attitude, and, and he dealt with it. And, and whether you're, you're the leader and someone comes against you like this, or, or, or you're serving under a leader and you have this in your heart, God will deal with it. And it was radical. I, I appreciate it. 
and I'm warned by the fact that this was radical. What was inside their heart became obvious, and Miriam got leprosy, and leprosy is a classic picture of sin, and leprosy is one of those things that, that starts on the inside in the blood system, but is manifest then in the flesh, and, and be aware that will happen. It will manifest in the flesh, and it'll, it'll look ugly eventually. It'll also cause us to be contagious, as leprosy is. It will also cause us to be isolated and contained, as leprosy needed to be. And such a warning to us, and such an example that Moses, what was his response? He fell on his knees, fell on his face, and prayed for her. And he cried out, Mercy, mercy, Lord, heal her. What a beautiful wonderful picture this is. But then, one more pitfall. Before we leave this topic, it's important to state, sometimes you might serve under a leader, maybe a committee person, maybe a chairperson, maybe a worship leader who is not humble. She is missing the bullseye. She does not get it, the servant part of it. She is the one who is jealous or unfairly critical of you. Maybe maybe she's not outrageous in this, but there are moments when this is manifest. Maybe she's not a Saul, but she has Saul-like moments. I've been in ministry 39 years, and I have been in every slot of this entire dilemma. So then what do you do? What can you do? What should you do? And the question really is, what will you, as a child of God, choose to do when you're in that situation. David is the best picture to me of how to navigate those hard, complicated, frustrating, and even wrong moments. He was called to ministry. He did have a great desire for God's glory and a great love for God's people. And yet, directly over him was a leader who was out of God's will, who was disobedient, who was prideful, who was jealous and fearful of David and very, very powerful. Don't kid yourself. None of us have it as bad as David did with Saul. Saul was willing to kill him to protect his place in ministry. I'm going to now recommend a book called A Tale of Three Kings that is a must-have for your library. It's written by a man named Gene Edwards, and I will do a sidebar. I do not recommend any of his other books. This is the one book that I recommend, but I feel like it's powerful and it is anointed. Chapter 4 begins with the statement, The mad king saw David as a threat to the king's kingdom, not to the Lord's kingdom. The king did not understand, it seems, that God should be left to decide what kingdoms survive which threats. Not knowing this, Saul did what all mad kings do. He threw spears at David because he could. And sometimes we are in that situation that someone in a position of authority has the power to throw a spear and they do it just because they can. But chapter 5 is almost my favorite. Here's what it says. God has a university. It's a small school. Few enroll and even fewer graduate. Very few indeed. God has this school because he does not have broken men and women. 
Instead, he has other types. He has men who claim to be God's authority and aren't. Men who claim to be broken and aren't. And men who are God's authority, but who are mad and unbroken. And he has regretfully everything in between. All of these he has in abundance, but broken men and women hardly at all. In God's sacred school of submission and brokenness, why are there so few students? Because all who are in this school must suffer much pain. And as you might guess, it is often the unbroken ruler whom God sovereignly picks who meets out the pain. David was once a student in this school, and Saul was God's chosen way to crush David. And I want to say, as I look at the story of David, I believe that part of his greatness was because he learned everything about what not to do and what not to be from Saul. These moments are treasures to us. And may it not be true with the leader you serve under presently, And may it not ever be true that you are not a spear thrower to your Saul's or to your David's. Just take that as the good word. And now we will look at that moment in En Gedi, that wonderful moment in 1 Samuel chapter 24. And as you remember this, this moment, it was a perfect setup, I believe, a perfect setup. David had been on the run and he had been forced to leave his home, his family, his ministry, and hide in caves. And he had lived like that for months and months and maybe even years. And here was the perfect setup. Saul came into that cave to relieve himself and he was within shooting range. And David could have picked up a sword and just stabbed him in the back and been done with it and removed that leader. And sometimes we are in that very position. But let's look at what happened. It says that David rose and he secretly cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Verse 5. Now it happened afterward that David's heart troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe. And he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him. See, he is the anointed of the Lord. So David restrained his servants with these words and did not allow them to rise against Saul. I'm just, I'm just pausing here to let this sink in for just a moment. Do not arise and do not let others arise. And he said in verse 10, I will not, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord. In verse 11, he says, there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand. And to Saul, he says, I have not sinned against you. Two wrongs never, never make a right. And now we will shift gears. And some of you are saying, praise the Lord. Let's shift gears. Let's shift to the glorious, amazing blessing of standing alongside, of serving in support, of being a tonto, 
a Barnabas, a Joshua, a Timothy. And please know these are wonderful get-tos and not heavy have-tos. Think about the blessing. Think about the blessing of being a Tonto with Little Lone Ranger. He rode in, they rode together right to the front lines to rescue the helpless, to rescue the weak. But they rode in with the assurance that the Lone Ranger had the silver bullet. I love that part of the story. He had the silver bullet. Be aware, he wasn't the silver bullet. Jesus is our silver bullet. And we can ride into any situation knowing we are equipped. We have the word of God. And Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted. That's our mission. That's the excitement. Silas and Paul. Just think about those words, Silas and Paul. And I wonder, as we we look at their moments together, if you can tell me how he came to serve alongside Paul. And what was their crowning moment together? Can you remember? Well, answer number one in Acts 15, it's really by default that he came to that position. There was a contention between Paul and Barnabas over Mark. And Barnabas then left, left with Mark and became his mentor, which was a fruitful ministry. And later Mark was valuable and and wrote the book of Mark. But now Paul was left without a companion, without a a, alongside Tonto. And so it says at verse 40 that Paul chose Silas by default. Praise the Lord. Sometimes that's our great opportunity. But in Acts later, we see that as they were serving alongside, that danger did come. And that's what Paul was worried about, Mark, that Mark wasn't up for it. But Silas was, and we read in Acts 16, that when they had done the right thing and delivered this little servant girl from a a demon, that then they were to suffer for it. It says their clothes were torn off, they were beaten, thrown into jail, and their feet were put in stocks. But the glorious statement is, but at midnight. Love that line. But at midnight, at that darkest time when they were in pain, but they were together. At midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. They weren't whining to God, but they were praying and they were singing to God. And then the sweet thing is that the prisoners, it doesn't say other prisoners. Be aware of that. It said The prisoners, Paul and Silas, were in chains, but they were free. They were not prisoners, but the prisoners were listening to them. Isn't that beautiful? What a powerful thing. And in verse 26, the earthquake came, the prison was shaken, the doors opened, and the chains were loosed. And sometimes that's exactly what happens. Sometimes your leader will get beaten up. She will. For doing the good thing, the right thing. She'll get stripped down. She'll get beaten up. And sometimes it feels like her hands are tied and she's locked up. That's a hard place to be alone. And may we be their Silas then, standing alongside of them, stepping into that fire with them, standing up for that right thing with them. Even if there is a cost, and there is a cost. There's a wonderful chapter in that book, Spiritual Leadership, that talks about the cost of service. There is a cost, but oh, it's worth it. Especially when you face it in prayer and you face it singing hymns. 
Maybe you and your husband are a Priscilla and Aquila to your pastor and his wife. What did Paul call them? He called them my fellow workers in Christ Jesus who risked their own necks for my life to whom I not only give thanks, but also the church gives thanks. They risk their necks. And whatever that meant, sometimes it gets risky as we saw with Silas. And that's the privilege and that's the honor. Now, I'd like to just continue to stir you up to love and good works by just reading some descriptions of people who walked in your kind of shoes, walking alongside, in some cases, Paul. Colossians 4, 7, Paul mentions Tychicus. Paul called him, listen to this and let these words describe you. He called him a beloved brother, a faithful minister a fellow servant in the Lord. Onesimus, who had been a runaway slave, but now was a child of God, he called him faithful, a beloved brother. How sweet. Aristarchus, he was called a fellow prisoner. And it says that he proved to be a comfort to Paul. That's a great role. Sometimes that's a powerful ministry, to comfort your leader. She's got heartache too. She's got broken times with her prodigal child or moments when she feels like she's failed. Be a comfort. Epaphras was a bond servant of Christ first and he was always laboring in prayer for the Colossians. What a great role that is. Praying for your leader, but praying for the people. Always do that. Pray for the people. And what was his prayer for the people? That they would stand perfect and complete in the will of God. Great prayers. Demas, do you remember his name? And what's your reaction to his name? It says that he had a a church in his house. And in your women's ministry, there are Demases. And maybe they have a little Bible study in their house. But then later in 2 Timothy, it tells us that he forsook Paul. Because he loved the present world. May that not be with us. That we fall in love with the the world and think the world is permanent. And we forget that the world is passing away. Timothy. Timothy was called Paul's beloved son. And he was encouraged. Paul encouraged him to stir up the gift of God that was in him. Paul said, oh, Timothy, guard that which is committed to your trust. Titus was called a true son. And Paul left him in Crete with a very unpleasant group of people. And what was his job? So that he could set things in place that were lacking and to appoint godly leadership. And one of the reasons is is stated in Titus verse 10. Because there are many who are insubordinate, idle talkers, deceivers. That's who he was serving amiss. And sometimes your leader will leave you in a place that's undesirable. And you were hoping because you had been so faithful that you were going to get the good discussion group in Bible study, the sweet ones, the ones that did their homework. And sometimes that very leader who loves you so much and you love them so much, they put you in the worst group with the ones that are gossips, the one that sometimes are deceivers. They're just plain church. It's said that there's only three kinds of people in any Bible study group. There's believers, there's unbelievers, and there's make-believers. And sometimes your leader will trust you so much. He or she 
assigns you to the worst group, to the worst situation, is a stewardship because they trust you. And Paul wrote to Philemon, and here's our last example. Philemon, he called him a beloved friend and a fellow laborer. He said, I thank my God because I've heard of your love and your faith, which you have toward Jesus and toward the brethren. And then he asked that servant, that brother, that co-laborer to do two things. First thing, he says, forgive and receive Onesimus. Onesimus, the flake, the runaway slave. He says, forgive him, forgive him. I'll say to you, it breaks a leader's heart when those that serve with them won't forgive, won't forgive and won't receive someone who's failed. Please don't hold grudges in your midst. Don't do that. Be good forgivers. Be good restorers. Be good receiver backers. That's a blessing. Second thing, Paul asked Philemon to prepare a little guest room for him. And sometimes your service is just that. And sometimes, like Jesus sent two of his disciples to just go and tie a little donkey and bring that donkey to him. To others, he said, go prepare the room. And sometimes you think you've risen up in your ministry experience and now you're just going to do the big spiritual things. And sometimes it's the little tangible physical things that are such a blessing. And then Paul said to Philemon, a good word. And I believe he wants to say this to our hearts. He says, yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord, having confidence in your obedience. I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say, even more than I say. And say to you, and so to me, will you serve alongside your Moses and your Paul, whether you're a warrior on the front lines or you're holding up their hands in the prayer room? All your Moseses, your Davids, your Elishas, and your Sauls, they're just sinners saved by grace. Please forgive them. Please love them. Please respect them. Please encourage them. And please, please pray for them. Pray for them. Remember the burden. The burden and the work is always the people. Don't just focus on the task. Don't be task-oriented. When you're putting together a women's event, don't just think it's about the refreshments or the coffee or the decorations. That's just a, an outside of it. It's always about people. The mission was stated by Jesus himself when he looked at Peter and he said, Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Tend my sheep. Do we love Jesus, not just your leader? Do you love Jesus, our truest leader? Lead them from the wilderness, from the wilderness into the promised land. And we'll close where we started. And whatsoever you do, don't do it unto men. Don't do it just unto men. Do it heartily as unto the Lord. Let's pray. And Lord, as we, as we ponder all these things, Lord, God, I pray that you would rise us up with a, a Joshua heart, that we would remember we're just an ex-slave, leading ex-slaves from Egypt. 
Help us to leave Egypt ourselves, where our hearts don't even go back. Help us to not think that the wilderness is our destination. Help us to pant for the promised land, the abundant life. Help us to step our foot in the Jordan and cross over. Help us to be willing to go to the front lines. Help us to be willing to stand in the back lines and be prayer warriors. And Lord, help us to not miss the mark. Help us to not be zealous and jealous to hold back what you want to do. Help us to be inclusive and want to see others raised up, others used, ministry to ripple across so that we can look up and be part of the great harvest of lost souls. And God, help us to not miss those moments of sending people away because they're too needy or they don't fit. Help us to not be jealous when our leader loves others as much or maybe more than us and includes them. Help us not to be jealous for anyone's anointing. And even when we serve in hard moments and we get unfair criticism by anybody and spears thrown at us, help us not to learn to throw spears back. Lord, help us to serve with honor. Help us to be that Silas who's willing to to serve even when things get unpleasant or unpopular. Help us to sing in those hard places and pray. Help us to be good forgivers. Help us to be satisfied to do the little things along with the big things. And again, help us to realize that all of this, we're serving you. We're serving you, God, and we want to be faithful and we want to feed your sheep and love your sheep. And whatever we do, we want to do it heartily as unto you. In Jesus' name, amen.